All right. Good afternoon, everyone. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been studying through the Gospels in chronological order, and we've been following through the life of Jesus. And so we have a lot to cover today, so let's not delay. Let's get right into it. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. And up at this point, Jesus has been a few years in his earthly ministry, and shortly after this, he's going to endure the cross. And for the past several weeks, we've been in Luke's Gospel in Luke's chapter 11 through 12. And if you remember a little further back, Jesus had gone up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, and he did some miracles there, he taught there, and after that he departed from there, and he went beyond the Jordan, then he returned back to Galilee. And it's here where Jesus has been teaching in Luke's chapter 11 through 12. And so Jesus at this point has been teaching about prayer, he's been teaching on covetousness, hypocrisy, he's rebuked the religious leaders and the scribes, and he taught on the fear of God. And last week, he taught on worry. And so last week, we were presented with a challenge. What are we putting our, our faith in ultimately? Is it our worry or is it our dependence on God? Are we focused on the worries in our lives or are we depending and trusting in who God is? And so I want to follow up on that before we go any further. How was your week this past week? Has your trust been in God or have you just been drowned out by worries and by fears? Well, today again, we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 12. We're going to start in verses 35 and 36. But before that, let's go ahead and commit this time again to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll study these verses together. Heavenly Father, we're just so privileged to come before you, God. We just thank you for, Lord, this tremendous gift, the gift of your word. And we just thank you, God, that your word is alive. It's powerful, Lord. And God, that you just you have a message for each one of our hearts, God. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word, Lord. We pray that you'd soften our hearts, God. We pray that you just give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you would speak to us today. Lord, may you be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 36. Look what it says. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. So remember, Jesus is giving, this is all part of the same message that Jesus has been giving, right? And so the first thing that Jesus says in verse 35 is, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Now, I don't know what your translation says, but when I read this in mind, it sounds strange. So what is Jesus saying when he says, let your waist be girded and let your lamps be burning? Well, ultimately, this phrase, let your waist be girded in the Greek language, is a phrase that means to literally just fasten your belt. And it was a figurative way of saying, be ready. Be ready for action. And this is ultimately what Jesus is calling us to in verse 35, to be ready for service. And so there's a couple things to point out here in these verses. Number one, when Jesus gives this command in verse 35, this is a call to action for Christians. This is not a call to idleness. We're called to be ready for service and to have our lamps burning. And the reason Jesus is saying all this is because he is coming back soon. And some of you might hear that Jesus is returning, and you've heard that before, but it seems to you like some far-off fantasy. But it's very much a coming reality. And Jesus is coming again. And these verses that Jesus is, is speaking here, he is trying to get his disciples and us to fix our eyes back on Christ and to be ready for His coming. And so He's calling us to action. He's not calling us to be idle. He says, let your lamps be burning. Well, what does a lamp do? 
Well, a light, it, it lights the way, right? It gives direction. It shines in the darkness. And for whoever has a lamp, it gives clear direction as to where they're going to walk. And if someone doesn't have a light, they're not going to be able to see properly where they're going. And watch this. They're not going to be able to lead others either. And so what is our lamp? What is our lamp that we have as Christians? Well, the Word of God. Right? The Bible says this. Your Word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. And so for us as Christians, God is calling us to be equipped with His Word. And this is why we've seen it time and time again. But if we're to lead others to Christ, it starts first with our own hearts. It starts with us being in the Word of God daily. Right? We can't give what we don't have. And if we're in God's presence, then we're going to radiate His presence to others. The world's going to see a difference when we're in the presence of God and when we're in His Word. Just like Moses in the Old Testament, when he went up to Mount Sinai to talk to God, he came back down and his face was it was glowing. And the people were like, whoa, there's something... What's going on? It's because he was in the presence of God. And for us to have our lamps burning, we must be in the Word of God. The focus has to be on the Word of God. And so a faithful Christian is one who is actively doing what God has called them to do. They're ready for action and ready to go out and follow His commands. There has never been a time for the Christian, and it's certainly not now, and there will never be a time for a Christian to be idle, to be silent, and to just sit aside and keep their faith to themselves. We are called to go out, which brings us to point number two. What does a servant do? Jesus likens us to servants in verse 36. Well, a servant serves their master. And our Master, Jesus, has commanded us. He's commanded us quite a few things. He's commanded us to be His hands and feet. He has commanded us to shine His light, to teach His commands, to preach the Gospel, to make disciples, to love others, and to dedicate our lives to the furthering of the Gospel. Do these things describe your life? Are you ready for action to go out and to do these things, to go out and preach the Gospel, to go out and shine the light of Christ? Because this is what God is calling each one of us to do. And God does not want us to just keep this to ourselves. If you remember the early church in the book of Acts, after before Jesus ascended, He told the disciples, you're going to be witnesses of Me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And you know what they did? They stayed in Jerusalem. Right? And then what happened? Persecution arose. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen became the first martyr. And what happened after the persecution? Now the church spread. Because God doesn't want us to just sit idle. He used something like this in order to get the church out there. Are we going out? We're called to action. Let's look at verses 37 through 40. Blessed are those servants whom the Master, when He comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that He will gird Himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Jesus just told us that we need to be ready for action, and now he's telling us what else we need to do. He says, you must be watching. The word watching in the Greek language, it just is another word for being vigilant. And to be vigilant, it means that you're on high alert. You're constantly on guard. You're focused. Right? And Jesus is telling us ultimately, be watchful and vigilant. Be on high alert because Christ could return at any time. 
But being vigilant also means that you're keeping an eye out for anything that poses a danger to you as well. And the word vigilance, it would be associated with watchmen on the wall back in the ancient days where they would stand guarding the city and they'd keep an eye out for any threat who might come into the city to cause harm. And so to be vigilant, it means that you're watching out for anything that might be detrimental or harmful for you in your walk with Christ. And so as we're being watchful for the return of Christ, what else do we need to be watching out for? What dangers do we need to be watching out for? Well, the devil, right? First and foremost, First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter said this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so we need to be watchful against the danger that is the devil. As he seeks to spread his lies, his temptations, his accusations against us, as he seeks to sow disunity, as he seeks to sow false teaching, he can't take our salvation from us, but he can try to keep us from walking in our callings. And we don't need to fear Satan. He's defeated, but we should be aware that we do have an adversary. And his desire is for us to be damaged in our faith and our ministry. So as we're watching out for the return of Christ, right, we need to also be watching out for the danger that is the devil as he's seeking to take our focus off of watching for Christ. What else should we be guarding ourselves against? Our own heart. Right? Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Our hearts are a very dangerous thing and that's a counter message to what society teaches today. The world says follow your heart. It's a very unbiblical worldview. As a matter of fact, the Bible says your heart's actually wicked. It can't be trusted. It's desperately wicked above all things. And we saw what happened when man followed his heart. Adam followed his heart, and what happened? Death came. Right? And so we need to guard ourselves against our own heart. Because our heart wants sin. It wants to give in to the things that our flesh wants. And we need to be guarding our own hearts as we're watching for Jesus. We need to be guarding our hearts that pride, lies, or any other sin don't creep into our hearts. And what else are we to be guarding ourselves against? It's a great one. And we just talked about it. We need to guard ourselves against being idle. As we saw in the previous verses, we need to be vigilant to be diligent. And there are too many Christians today just sitting on the sidelines, right? We're not secret Christians. God didn't call us here to be undercover Christians. Not in this country. Not in this church. Not in this city. He's called us to be Christians who are bold, who are going out and being obedient to what Christ has commanded us to do. Right? We can't be complacent. And complacent is a fancy word for laziness. Right? And when we become complacent in our faith and we start to put off being in the Word, we start to put off being in prayer, we start to put off being obedient to what God has called us to do, it creates apathy. And apathy is just a fancy word for saying we lose that enthusiasm. We lose that joy of serving Christ. And maybe that sounds like you today. And you know, if that is your heart, I have great news. God is so gracious and He wants to restore you, but you need to come to Him. Well, lastly, here in verse 40, Jesus tells us what we're called to do next. So, so far, He's called us to be watchful, to be ready for action, and now He's telling us to be ready for His return. And as we shared earlier, the coming of Jesus is a reality. It's going to happen. And it might not happen in our lifetime, but regardless, Jesus is coming again. And whether He comes in our lifetime or not, one day we will face Him. And so I'll ask the question that we, we ask many times. But it's important to ask these questions. If Jesus were to return right now, 
would you be ready? Are you ready to face Jesus? Just take a look back this week. If Jesus would have came back on Monday, would you have been ready? If he would have came back on Tuesday, would you have been ready? If he would have came back on any day ending in Y, would you have been ready? I know looking back for me this week, there are many times that if Christ would have returned, I would have been severely caught off guard. And that shouldn't be the case. We should be ready. So what does it look like to be ready for the return of Jesus? Well, first and foremost, to be in a right relationship with God. right? To have our hearts right with Him. To have our lives right with others as well. To be living lives of holiness instead of lives of sin. And to be faithful in the calling that He's called us to. And today many Christians are are ready for many things. But not the return of Christ. A lot of Christians are ready for the next world war, the next pandemic. Right? The next big thing, but are they ready for Christ? And it's okay to be ready for those things, by all means. But first and foremost, our priority needs to be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. Let's look at verses 41 through 48. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give him their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers." And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. There's a lot to unpack in these verses. But first things first, Peter says, Lord, are you saying these things just to us? Peter was wondering if if what Jesus was teaching only applied to the disciples. right? And Jesus, he makes it very clear in his answer that this did not just apply to the disciples, it applies to all who follow him. This very much applies to us today, and we should be paying careful attention to what Jesus is saying. In, In Revelation, Jesus would say this often when he was writing to the churches. He would say this phrase. He would say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this was just a way of saying it interprets to mean listen up, pay careful attention. And this is how we should be when Jesus is, is speaking to us, right? And it's not just this, these verses, it's his whole word. We need to be paying careful attention to what he's saying. And Jesus uses an analogy here of a servant who is either faithful and wise or he's foolish and unfaithful. So let's break these down further. Verse 42 and 43, Jesus describes the heart of the faithful and wise servant as one who is being faithful with what he was entrusted with. Faithful with what he was commanded. And for each one of us in here as Christians today, we have been entrusted with a few things, haven't we? For each one of us, and this doesn't just apply to one over the other, if we're Christians, God has entrusted each one of us with his word. This is an amazing thing that he's given to us. And he's entrusted us with his word to go out to take to others. Right? He's entrusted us with His Word to, to nourish ourselves with and to take out to this lost world with. He's entrusted us with the callings that He's placed on our lives. And if you're a Christian in here, God has placed a calling on your life. 
And you know those callings, they look different for each of us, but God has a purpose to use you to further His kingdom. And God's entrusted you with that. And it's amazing because by no means does God need any of us, but He wants us. And He gives us these callings that we can be used to go out and be a part of His work. But are you being faithful with the calling that God's placed in your life? And what else has He entrusted us with? He's entrusted us with the highest form of service that we could ever be called to, preaching the Gospel. It's the highest form of service that we can be called to. Taking the Word of God out to the lost and sharing the message of salvation in Jesus Christ with them. So with that said, are you being obedient with what Christ has entrusted you with? Are you being a faithful steward with what He has given you? And if Christ were to come back, would you be found faithful with what He's given you? Verse 43, Jesus also said that a faithful servant is blessed because his master is going to come back and he's going to find that servant going about his master's business. So again, if Christ were to come back, would he find us going about his business, doing his work, loving his people? Or would he come back and find us going about our own business? Okay, and the last one, watch it. Look, these are things that God has convicted my heart with, so don't shoot the messenger. But if Christ were to come back, would he find you going about your business, but you say that you're going about God's business? That's different, isn't it? There's a lot of people who are here to do the work of God who don't do the work of God. We all can fall into that trap. It happens to me. And God has been convicting me on this. Like I, I need to be doing His work. I need to be going about His business. Well, verses 45 and 46, Jesus now describes the opposite. He describes the heart of the unfaithful servant. And Jesus describes a servant who believes that his master is delaying in his return and he lives recklessly. He believes that he has time to waste. And in this parable, Jesus says this servant, he beats his fellow servants and he, he gets drunk. And ultimately what Jesus is saying is this servant, he just lives recklessly. He lives however he wants and he, he thinks that he has time to waste because you know what? He said, my master will come back. I have time. I'll get right later. Now I can just mess around and, and do whatever I want and my master will come at a later time. It's okay. And this is a very dangerous heart to have, isn't it? It's a very dangerous heart to have because as Christians, we have no time to waste because Christ can come back at any given time. And again, even if Christ didn't come back in our lifetime, we don't know when our last day is. And we will face Christ. Christ. We have no time to waste as Christians. We need to be very careful with the time that we have here on this earth. We don't have time to be compromising Christians. Right? And what does a compromising Christian look like? Well, compromising a Christian has fear of man. We went over this on Friday with the youth group. Right? A compromising Christian has fear of man. Fear of standing up for what is biblical. Fear of standing up for what is true and doing what Christ has commanded us. Compromise is taking part in the ways of the world and sinning for the sake of pleasure. Right? A compromising Christian is complacent. Right? And this is an easy trap that I, I can fall into many times where I say, I'll read my Bible later. Let me do this first and then I'll... Re-. Well, later never comes, does it? Right? Complacency is a dangerous trap to fall into. Compromising Christian justifies sinful actions. A compromising Christian lives a life of sin and... The last one, a compromising Christian misconstrues Scripture 
to justify the way that they lived. And we don't want to have these attributes as Christians because we don't have time to waste because our Master Christ can return at any given moment. And so on the opposite and the flip side, what does an uncompromising Christian look like? Well, an uncompromising Christian has a fear of God over a fear of man, willing to stand up for what the Bible says, having grace for sinners but not tolerating sin, right? Taking part in the ways of the Lord, being in fellowship, loving, being compassionate, serving. Instead of being complacent, you're being proactive, reading your Bible, praying, being in fellowship, serving, Right? You have a grief over sin instead of justification because let's be real, we're all going to sin. But what is our reaction to when we sin? Do we try to justify it or do we have grief over it that we just broke God's law? We just broke His commands. An uncompromising Christian lives a life of holiness and applies scriptures to the way that they live. And so which one do you, do you fit in right now? And there's no judgment that if, if you have a lot of attributes in the compromising Christian, there's no judgment because here's the great news. There's so much grace. And that's the thing about the God that we serve. He's so merciful and compassionate. But if you have been compromising, okay, it's time to come back to the Lord. It's time to no longer be a compromising Christian because Christ can come back at any time. And we need to be careful of how we live the lives that God has given us. Well, lastly, here in these verses in verse 48, Jesus said that there's a penalty for those who are not living in a way that is fit for the return of Christ. And at the end of verse 48, Jesus said, to whom much is given, much will be required. For us as Christians, we're going to be held to a higher standard because we know the truth. We know what Scripture says. And I think it's safe to say for each of us in here as Christians, we know how we're called to live. And so because of this knowledge of the truth that we have, we're going to be held to a higher standard. But it goes a little deeper than that, doesn't it? Because for us in here, a lot of us missionaries, pastors, teachers, servants... We're held to another standard, even higher standard, because we know what the truth says and we go out to teach that truth. And so are we being faithful with what we have been entrusted with? Because God has entrusted us with a lot by his grace and we need to be faithful with it. Are we being faithful in leading others in the truth and teaching the truth of God's word? Are we living that which we teach? And are we ready for Christ's return? Well, let's continue in verses 49 through 50. I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Okay, Jesus, what are you saying now? Right? And so Jesus said he comes, he came to bring fire on the earth. What fire is he talking about? And I should preface this. We're not told here what fire he's referring to. Right? There's a lot of different opinions. A lot of, a lot of people think, but we do know biblically that Fire, symbolically, was used to describe judgment. Right? We know in Isaiah 66, verse 16, it says, For by fire and by his sword the Lord will judge all flesh. And again, this is coming off the last thing Jesus said about judging those who are not living right and fit for his return. And the reality is, each one of us in here will one day face Jesus Christ. And we will face Jesus for judgment. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for man to die once and then judgment. And we will be held according to the standard that God has set in His Word. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Well, you too will face Christ one day. And you will give account on whether you've accepted Him as your Lord and Savior or not. Right? You're a sinner in need of a Savior. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. But here's the great news. 
It's not done. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, Christ wants to set you free. All you have to do is surrender to Him. All you have to do is receive that free gift of His grace. And that brings us to the next verse in verse 50. When Jesus said that I have a baptism to be baptized with. You know, we're doing baptism today, right? And baptism is a picture of how we've become one with Christ. But the symbol of baptism that Jesus is referring to here is the suffering that He is going to endure. When Jesus said, I'm going, I have a baptism to receive, He's saying that He has an immersion of suffering that He's going to receive. And we know that Jesus is going to endure the cross. He's going to go through some horrific things for the sake of His love for us. But what I find amazing about this verse is how Jesus says He's distressed about it. And otherwise, He's burdened until it's accomplished. And what an amazing picture of the heart of Jesus, isn't it? It's, it's almost as Jesus is saying, I'm eager for this. I, I just I want this to be accomplished. And isn't that an amazing heart that Jesus has? Because despite the horrific suffering that He was going to go through, He had you and I on the forefront of His mind, and He wants to reconcile us to a right relationship with God because that's how much He loves us. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, Christ loves you so much that He laid down His life for you. Jesus said you can't display love greater than this and to lay down your life for someone, and that's what Christ did for you. And if you're here today as a Christian, maybe you've just been so beat up lately by the accusations of the devil where he's just been feeding you his lies. You're not good enough. You keep failing. You keep giving in. You keep compromising. You shouldn't even be here serving God. These are just lies. And Christ loves you. And it just shows us how deep His mercy is, how deep His forgiveness is. His loving kindness led us to repentance. And it's just such a beautiful picture of the heart that Jesus has for us. And so again, if, if you've been here and you've been just compromising in your faith, the great news is there's so much forgiveness that Jesus is offering. But you need to come back to Him. Let's look at verses 51 through 53. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five and one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Whoa! Jesus, now what are you saying? Right? And maybe you hear this, maybe you're not a Christian and you're like, what is Jesus saying here? And maybe you are a Christian and you're wondering the same thing. What is Jesus saying here? Right? The Bible says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9-6. So why does Jesus say that He didn't come to bring peace? He's a God who loves unity, so why does He say that He came to bring division? Is the Bible contradicting itself? Is Christ's character contradictory? No. No. Jesus is indeed the Prince of Peace. And Jesus does indeed love unity. What Jesus is referring to here is that, look, When you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're faithful to follow Him, it's going to cause division amongst those around you. And that's kind of an understandable picture in cultures like this because it's a very real thing. If you accept Christ in cultures like these, it's a very high possibility your family will denounce you, reject you, want nothing to do with you anymore. And maybe that's happened to some of you in here. right? Because being faithful to Jesus and the calling that He's called us to It means we're going to be rejected by this world. It means that we're going to be pushed away by this world. And it may cost us being faithful and following Christ and not compromising in our faith. It's going to cost us. And sometimes the cost isn't cheap. It might cost us relationships. It might cause us finances, right? Futures, jobs, social standing, freedoms, liberties, and maybe even our lives. 
Sometimes these are the costs for following Christ and being ready for His return. Why? Because we live in a fallen world and Satan doesn't want us to be Christians who are ready for Christ's return because a Christian who's ready for Christ's return is a Christian who's shining brightly. And Satan wants nothing to do with that. Because whenever you're shining the light of Christ and you're going out and being bold, you are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. When you go and you pass out a tract, when you share Jesus with someone, they might not even understand you. You're, you're wreaking havoc on the kingdom of darkness because God can take that and He can use it to set that person free. Because there's so much power in what Jesus can do. And so, of course, the enemy wants nothing to do with that. And so rejection is, in many times, the cost that we have to pay. And you might be thinking, is it really worth it? Is it worth getting rejected by family? Is it worth maybe losing my finances and losing my job and losing my future and losing my freedoms? Is it really worth giving my life for? And the answer is, yeah. Because in light of eternity, this life is so short. And you can have the exchange. You can choose the things of this world in exchange for your soul, but it's not worth the exchange. Jesus is worth everything that we have to offer. And you know, for many of us, we won't have to pay all these prices, but each one of us should be willing to give up anything that Christ requires. And so with that said, are you willing and ready to give up these things for the sake of Christ and being faithful to live for Him? Are you sold out for the Lord or to the world? Let's look at verses 54 through 56. Then He also said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather, and there is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? So Jesus is rebuking the people here because they were able to discern the weather, right? They were paying attention to the weather, understanding how to discern what the weather was going to be like, yet they couldn't discern the fact that their long-awaited Messiah was right there in front of them. And you know, the Jewish people, this is what, this is, this was everything to them. They longed to see the Messiah. He's right there in front of them and they couldn't even discern that. The Messiah was fulfilling prophecies right in front of them and they didn't comprehend it. And these people, they should have been well versed in the Old Testament. They should have been well versed in what the prophets said. They should have seen the signs of the coming Messiah and prepared for him. But they were too focused on other things and too distracted that they couldn't see that Christ was right in front of them. And so the people of Israel were caught off guard at the coming of Jesus because they weren't ready for Him. What about us today? Will we follow this example? Will we be a church that's so distracted by worldly things that we won't be ready for the return of Jesus? Will we be a church divided and devouring each other that we won't be ready for the return of Jesus? Will we be a church disobedient to the commands of Jesus to go out and preach His gospel that will be caught off guard when we face Him? What is it in your life that's been stealing your attention and your focus? What has been keeping you from being watchful for the return of Jesus in your life? And for each of us, it might be different. I know what it is in my life that steals my focus and my priorities. You know what it is in your life, right? But it's time again to fix our eyes back on Christ. And maybe it's worry as we looked at last week. Maybe that's been stealing your focus. Maybe it's pursuing worldly things. Maybe it's confusing your priorities. Maybe it's pride. Whatever it is, it's time to turn our heart back to Christ. And though we don't know when Christ will return, we do know that the signs are lining up and Jesus is coming soon. And again, we might never see Him come back in this lifetime. But God forbid this could be our last night. This could be our last day. And I know that's kind of morbid thinking, but it's reality. And so again, are we ready to face 
Jesus? Are we ready to face Him? Are we being faithful in doing all that Christ has commanded us? Let's not miss the opportunities, church, that Christ is placing in front of us and let's not be unprepared for His return. Let's look at our last three verses here. Verses 57 through 59. Yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last might. So Jesus is, is bringing it home, reiterating his main point that he's been sharing We need to get our hearts and our lives right with God and we need to be ready for Him. And Jesus, like a good teacher, He gives us an illustration to illustrate His point. right? And He shares this this illustration. Imagine if, if you are in debt or you've done something, you've wronged someone. That person is going to take you before a judge. And if you are brought before the judge and you're found guilty, you are going to pay a punishment. And so Jesus is saying, look, You need to get right before you're taken to the judge. Before you're taken for judgment, get right. Get right with the one that you've wronged. Otherwise, you're going to experience judgment. And Jesus is using this illustration to once again reiterate his point that we need to get our hearts right with Christ now before we face him. And so again, I'm going to ask the same question. I've been asking it many times. I'm going to ask it again. If Christ were to return, would you be ready? Would you be found faithful? And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, would you be found in a right relationship with God if Christ came back? Because you can be. All you have to do is surrender to Jesus. Because through faith in Jesus Christ, you will be reconciled to God and have a right relationship with Him. And if you're a Christian who's not been walking faithfully in your relationship with Christ or the calling He's placed in your life, again, there's so much grace and forgiveness, but let's not squander the grace and forgiveness that God is offering us. Let's not wait till tomorrow or put it off because we're not promised tomorrow. Now's the time to get right with God and now's the time to be in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll conclude with this and then we're going to take communion together. Today we wrapped up Luke chapter 12 and we looked at verses 35 through 59 and we studied how Jesus said He's coming back again. And as I said earlier, the return of Jesus is not some far off fantasy. This is going to happen. This is a coming reality and it's something that we need to be prepared for. Four. And there's a few points that we looked at today. Number one, we've been called to action by Jesus. We're not called to be idle as we wait for Him. We're called to go out, be proactive in our faith, and share the Gospel. Right? We've been called to be vigilant, watching for the return of Jesus, and keeping an eye out for anything that might be a danger to us as we watch for Jesus. We've been called to be faithful. Faithful with what Christ has entrusted us with. We've been called to be in a right relationship with God. And people. And this is important as we take communion, right? This lines up perfectly with communion. That our hearts should be right with the Lord. And lastly, we've been called to be willing to give up anything Christ requires of us to follow Him faithfully. And so let's be a church that's found faithful and ready for the return of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful for Your grace and mercy, Lord. We thank You that, Lord, You love us. Lord, You love us so much that You would send Your only Son, Jesus our Lord and Savior, to die on the cross for us. And we thank You, Lord, that Jesus is alive, and we thank You that He's coming back again, Lord. We thank You that we don't have to dread this, Lord. We can rejoice in this, that Jesus is coming again. Thank You, Lord. May we be found ready for His return, Lord. May we be found ready, waiting for Him to come back. 
Father, may we be faithful. Help us, Lord. And God, forgive us for the times that we are unfaithful in our walk with You. Unfaithful in the calling that You've called us to. And Lord, I just pray if there's anyone in here who's been struggling, Lord, that they would just come back to You, Lord. That they would just come back and surrender and resurrender and recommit themselves to You, God. If there's anyone in here who's not saved, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them, Lord. That they would experience that free gift of grace in Your Son, Jesus. And Lord, I just pray that You'd strengthen us, God, to do Your will to do what you've called us to do, Lord. And may we just be found faithful, Lord. May we be found a church that is just ready for your return, God. And Lord, how we long for that day, God. Thank you. We love you. We praise you, Lord. And we just continue to commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.